All right, pull up a chair, pour up a drink, and light that cigar. It's time for a second interview episode here at the Cigarro Lounge. Cam, who do we have today? We have the other owner slash partner, uh, Jamie. We never got your last name, unfortunately, so you're going to have to introduce yourself. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Jamie Gorilla. And I appreciate you guys both being Tenants here at Cigarro Lounge here at 230 North Main Street in Hubbard, Ohio. And uh, I walked in the door and I was pleasantly surprised with all the equipment that you guys set up for this interview today. So whatever questions you gentlemen might have, feel free to uh, go ahead and let's enjoy ourselves over a good El Periodico cigar that you can only find here at Cigarro's. And let's have a good evening of interviews, cigars, and friendship. Once again, thank you guys so much for hosting us and for the invite. Beautiful lounge here. It's been a pleasure so far. Uh, me and Cam had the Maduro earlier. Got the Connecticut's now, which is just as good. Um, again, especially for a $10 stick, I was completely blown away with the Maduro, and the Connecticut so far is just as good. We spent quite a bit of time trying to find the right house brand cigar to complement our lounge. And uh, Steve and I have been blessed with uh, meeting several owners, rollers, and what have you. And it came down to this particular cigar. Of course, we've had great cigars at other locations, but the problem we ran into is the supply. They, they can make us cigars, and then we won't have enough for our members uh, in, in three months. And we were looking for a supplier to provide us what we wanted on demand. And uh, our friend uh, from down in the Miami area was able to provide us that inventory. And I'll tell you what, it's definitely a must-try for those who love a good cigar. Yeah, I cannot speak highly enough about this smoke so far. Now, in addition to being co-owner and uh, founder here, you're also a boxing judge and a bourbon distiller. Yeah, I tell you what, gentlemen, I'm going to take you on a journey. A little bit about my background. I started in the boxing world back, uh, actually, when I was in high school. My grandfather retired from Young Style Sheep Tube in 1975. And so we would spend the summer uh, months on vacation in Puerto Rico. So my grandfather, once he retired from the mills, he went back to the, uh, the islands and he became a farmer of approximately 45 acres of land where he grew coffee, bananas, uh, tobacco, those type of things on a small scale, really, because he already retired from the mills. And what I really appreciated was that I would go there thinking that I was something. You know, I had a T-shirt that said I was part of the 225-pound club. I had this little bulldog with weights bending. And what I didn't realize is that my grandfather actually could have picked up the bulldog and the weights all probably with one hand. And so to give you an example of how strong of a man he was, we would go to the bottom of the mountain where he would be working. He started around 5 o'clock in the morning. And, of course, he tried to get me up when I was in high school at 5 to go help a lot of farm, and that wasn't going to happen. So I went down around 8 o'clock when I finally got up, and, of course, my grandmother had breakfast ready for me on top of having breakfast ready for about 15 group of old-timers that are down in the, what they call the FIPA at 5 o'clock in the morning farming. So I go down there around 8 o'clock in the morning, and there's a couple bushels of uh, bananas. They call them plantains. And he's like, you know, Jimmy, take those up to uh, Grandma so she can get that ready for lunch. So I'm like, sure. So I grabbed this huge bushel of bananas. I try to grab one in each arm and left them. I'm like, man, this is heavy stuff. Again, I had my 225-pound club T-shirt on with the sleeves cut off. So then I picked up, you know, one bushel with two hands, and I'm dragging them up the mountain. 
And I look over at my grandfather, and he picked up one bushel in each hand, lifted it up, and walked up that mountain like nothing. And I realized at that moment that this, you know, this shirt meant nothing. Those guys are tough guys, right? So at that time, I realized that there was something unique about specific type of an individual that was that works hard every single day in the farms you know doing this type of work compared to those of us that go to gyms and lift weights on a regular basis so in being able to see that and witness that every day really opened up my mind so i was able to go down to the gyms where the local fighters would go and it was a little gym with like guard hose type ring ropes uh you know no no mats just you know kind of like the the carpet matting that you would put underneath the, the carpets before you would lay it as a uh, gym floor. And we would sit there and hit coffee, you know, sacks of coffee, uh, beans in burlap bags, and just, you know, just very, you know, homemade type of environment. And some of the fighters that have come out of Puerto Rico, I tell you what, Tito Trinidad and Harry Arroyo from Youngstown, Ohio, who grew up in his family, from the area to uh, you know, just some of the best fighters that you could ever imagine. And I've seen them humbly grow up and working out in these type of uh, locations, literally like a little garage, and then they become world champions. So my background with boxing all started watching that, but it progressed to where there was a young fighter by the name of Kenny Cigarani in the late 80s. And I enjoyed being part of his career where, you know, he was the great fighter, but then he was overwhelmed with the management and the promotions. And, you know, before you know it, he's 16 and 0, 18 and 0, 20 and 0. And it got to the point where now he's a top prospect. And everything that myself and my friends all did for Kenny was no charge because we were so proud of being part of his team. We knew his family, we knew he was a good Christian. We just felt great being around him. Anything that we could do to help progress his career, we wanted to be a part of. We put the billboards out there, we did local shows. Great Mancini, great Boom Boom Mancini was his promoter at the time. We developed a relationship with Ray. We all helped in building his career. And I tell you, uh, the fight that really got me into judging, not only was the several years that we worked together with Kenny and building his career, and for the record, Kenny's only losses came to world champions. He lost against Rivera. He lost against Julio Cesar Chavez. And his last bout was against Hector Macho Camacho. It was right around 1998. And that fight was really what got me into boxing. We were down uh, in a certain state. I'm not going to mention where. Where, uh, you know, the, the judges were pulled off the card. And the referee was pulled off the card. And that really bothered me. Because I've, I've never seen anything like that. Especially when you got to world champion like Hector Macho Camacho. So anyways, the new fighter uh, judges came in and the referees came in. And unfortunately for them is the referee that they pulled off the card later became the athletic director of the entire state of Ohio for boxing, which his name is Bernie Kupati. And so Bernie, of course, later on, several years after that match, came looking for him. Bernie was a very unique person. He was, I mean, he's seen things that I didn't even see in myself. I mean, I'd tell him a story and Bernie would absorb it. And then he came back and said, you know, I'd like for you to consider 
you know, being one of my judges. And I was totally honored. I'm like, God, I don't, I don't have the skills, nor do I want that responsibility of, of screwing up. And he says, well, I'm going to train you with Tom Miller. I'm like, sold. That's it. That's all you had to say, because Tom, he probably at that time had around 1,200 fights with probably 20 world title fights around the world. So Tom from the Ohio area is, in my, in my mind, is probably one of the top uh, judges in the entire state of Ohio. And since he was training me, I felt very comfortable doing this. And I did a trial fight with Tom, and I remember just going through probably two or three fights. He looked over at me, he goes, I'm good. And I'm like, no, you know, we got to do more. He goes, no, I feel pretty comfortable. So then after that, that match took place at the uh, Slovak Center, I think in on uh, Meridian in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, I started doing fights with Bernie, uh, ESPN fights, you know, as far as watching those fights on TV. And then, and turning the volume down, and then Bernie would be on the other side of the phone and we would talk about the fight. And I did the same with with uh, Tom Miller, where I would watch these fights and he would call, I would call him and say, hey, you watch this fight? Yeah. He goes, how'd you have the first or second round? And we talked about those different fights. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is pretty impressive. This guy here, he's one of the top judges in the world. I got Bernie who likes me, and my career started just like that. I'm sorry, guys, for hogging the mic, but I, once I get going, I can't stop. This is why we're here, Jamie. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. So, so how does judging a fight, trying to watch it on TV, compare to being there ringside? Well, the only difference for me is it, it depends. If I want to judge a fight from home, it's the same amount of concentration in the watching that fight on TV as I'm sitting at ringside and I'm focusing and if I'm getting paid to do that fight. For me, that's how I put myself in that situation. Those that watch the fights from home, if you're grabbing a beer or if you're uh, not paying attention or you're talking to the gentleman next to you and you think you're judging a fight, you're not. If you really want to judge a fight and it's the same thing we do ringside and your seats at home are just as good as the seat at mine at ringside, you just got to focus. It's got to be 100% concentration, whether you judge a fight at home or whether you judge a fight at ringside. If you are doing it from home, then make sure you're at home by yourself. Turn the volume off so that you don't get influenced by those ring commentators. Because a lot of times, you know, those guys, you know, they fought the guy that's in the ring. And, you know, there, there could be some bias there. So I recommend just turn your volume down and judge it yourself. Take your notes down. And then at the end of the fight, turn it up and see how everyone else scores. So, judging, obviously, is a very fast-paced thing. you got to keep track of all the punches thrown and stuff. Do you, did you box growing up or anything like that? To... Well, the, the first part is you got to keep track of all the punches. And really, it's almost impossible to try to keep. They've got people that sit there, and they can tell you about the clean punches, and how many punches, and how many jabs, and how many this, and how many that. So, as a judge for us, that would be almost impossible. Uh, but as far as growing up and getting into boxing and that type of stuff. I was surrounded with boxers uh, growing up. Harry Arroyo uh, was actually one of my father's Cub Scouts. That's how far back we go. And my dad had a little uh, role in a neighborhood uh, church by the name of Santa Rosa de Lima at Coitsville. And at that time, they were bringing these young kids in and we were training them to, do, to become fighters. Not we, but my father and his group of friends were doing that. I was just a little kid, you know, with the you know, smock running out of my nose, just excited to be in the same room as these guys. And then these guys just grew up and became great individuals. But uh, that was my start of uh, 
fights and, and you know, boxing in itself. So, how long have you been judging, and roughly how many fights have you judged? Approximately 250 fights, uh, 15 title fights, probably three or four world title fights. That's that's pretty much all I have compared to the guys that I've worked with that all have won Is there one fight that stands out to you as the best fight you've ever had to judge? You know what? It's all fights. I, I think are all the best fights. I I just I have all the most respect for these gladiators. I am. Nobody. I'm just a guy sitting on the outside. You want me sitting on the outside of that ring because I guarantee you the winner in that ring is going to be the winner on my card. That's the type of judge I am. So I appreciate what it takes to become a athlete, a gladiator. Put yourself in that ring against another gladiator and fight. As far as my background, as far as fighting, I have nothing compared to what you guys have done. I've done some tricondo in the military. I was assigned to the 2nd Infantry. I've jumped off cliffs. I've done all kinds of stuff. But what it takes to get in that ring, I tell you what, my hat's off to you. How about the most difficult fight you've had to judge? Uh, the most difficult fight was a fight where, well, let's get back to the, the best fight. The best fight, in my opinion, was, um, again, they were all great fights. But one that stood out was the Lomachenko fight uh, in Maryland. And Uskov. I was there. I was called out there. I didn't even know who was fighting because it was kind of short notice. I fly out to Maryland and I find out that it was a Lomachenko, 300 fights with one loss, two-time Olympic gold medalist. And he was the main event. And I was privileged enough to judge the undercard in Uskov, right, who today is a, a cruiserweight world champion. Uh, and what was what was so unique about that fight, I remember. And we were all in the same hotel room, you know, the match from HBO and, and uh, the fighters from both sides, uh, the red side, the blue side, were both at the same hotel and the judges and the, uh, the commission were all there. Of course, we're not all hanging out together. We're all doing our own thing. But I, as I was getting out of the elevator, there was this young man walking past me on his hands. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, who's this guy? And I look over and that's Lomachenko. So that, that caught my attention. I go into my room, and a couple hours later, uh, I call home, let everybody know, see if I come out. And the next thing you know, I'm walking past, and there are you know, a couple doors of the rooms that were all opened up. And I noticed that there was like a bingo board type of setup in the wall of this particular room. And there's a gentleman hitting the switch, and these numbers were flashing. So I see them you know, trying to touch the numbers that were flashing. It caught my attention. Again, Lomachenko, we were going outside for a briefing, and there he is outside hitting a tennis ball against a wall. Again, you see all this before a fight, and that tells you that's, that's focus, that's dedication. And uh, I've seen the opponents, that, you know, uh, or other fighters walking around texting with their hoodies on and so on and so forth. So in my mind, I could see why there was a two-time Olympic gold medalist and I could see the difference between those that, you know, not that they aren't of that caliber, but they weren't trained to be at that level yet. Uh, there are certain things that I see in a fighter that it's just having the right trainer and being in the right atmosphere can really boost their career. Uh, the worst, you asked me, was the worst fight. It was the hardest fight uh, um, in Jarmy. Uh, I think it was around 2011, if I'm not mistaken. Rest his soul. He he was a young fighter. It was his pro debut. Both gentlemen were, were pro debuts, and uh, he passed away. He from that fight, 
I see two warriors, again, think about this, 18-year-old uh, young men coming into the ring for the first time, pro debut, going at it for four rounds, and I tell you what, it was it was a beautiful fight. I enjoyed every minute of it, and unfortunately, the outcome was, was, was unfortunate, and he passed away. So all due respect to him and his family up in the uh, Detroit area for coming into the Youngstown area and bringing such a, a great fighter, and so sorry for him. So, when you get to the arena and you're ringside, what are the nerves like before the fight? Well, my preparation uh, before any fight actually starts the day before. I I shut down. There's no, you know, boozing it up and, and, and any of that type of stuff. I get home early. I'm usually in bed by 9 o'clock. And then I wake up early. I take, you know, I, I, I get myself prepared. And then at 12 o'clock, so if the fight's starting, if I'm doing undercard fights at 8 o'clock, I shut down at 12 o'clock and I go through all my notes and all the books in regards to judging a fight. I read the same books over and over and over. And I haven't not done this since day one fight. And those things are what to look for, you know, clean punches, effective aggressiveness ring generalship, defense, all those elements that are involved in the facets of judging a fight, those are the things that I review in order to prepare myself so that I am the best judge, sitting ringside to judge the best fighters that are in the ring. So when you first started out, did you have any doubt that you maybe couldn't do it or anything like that? No. I needed to be trained by Tom Miller, and once you're trained by the best, you feel like you're the best. And I was actually asked that question by Pat Pinella who is the uh, athletic director for boxing in the state of Maryland. And he was there with uh, his entire group of, of judges from all around the world. You know, they had uh, four judges in from different parts of the country. And he had his team of uh, uh, the commission there. And he, had, he goes, do you know why you're here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm here to judge a fight. You know, what kind of question is that? He goes, well, no, I want, I want the best judge in the state of Ohio. And I said, well, you screwed up. I'm not the best. That's Tom Miller. And he goes, well, Tom's not judging as much anymore. At that moment, it just came out. I'm like, well, then I'm your guy. I felt at that moment that I was the best judge that was available because I was trained by the best. My, my scores or the way I see it were always right on. So the team that I was surrounded with, and again, Bernie, hats off to Bernie Profato, he built a team with the Ohio Athletic Commission of the best judges, the best referees, in my opinion, and he really raised the standard in the state of Ohio. Bernie's last fight was this past weekend on Saturday, which was the title fight of Montel, Montana Love out of Cleveland and Steve Sparks from Australia. And uh, it was a pleasure being in the same arena, <laughs> the Rocket Mortgage Arena as Bernie Profato knowing that I was part of his, of his legacy and only a small element of the team that he built over the years. Now, I have the impression you have a photographic memory. Ooh. Is that something you can train or is it a gift that you had? Uh, regarding photographic memory in regards to when I'm judging a fight or just from just having this, this conversation and being able to go back? Well, especially during judging a fight. Yeah. Well, you got a uh, lot of time in there. Well, you, you, you know what? It's it's strictly concentration. I mean, if you do enough of these fights and you know what to look for, it just becomes second nature. You got to mentally prepare yourself for that event, and then at that moment, it is one hundred percent concentration. You are totally focused on two fighters 
four-fisted gloves, two gladiators going at it, and you're paying attention. And again, you're paying close attention to uh, ring generalship, the clean punches, the effective aggressiveness, and the defense. And it was this question was just brought to my attention uh, yesterday. Uh, the gentleman looked at me and he goes, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson. He goes, who would win? And I said, well, who do you think would win? He goes, oh, who would be Mike Tyson? I said, well, why do you say that? He goes, well, Mike Tyson, you know, he's, he's aggressive. He comes at you. And, and, I, and I looked at him and I smiled. I go, well, let me ask you a question. If you're looking at a matador and a bull, who's going to win that? And he's like, at that moment, he looked at me kind of like, what kind of question is that? Well, that's the same thing in boxing. When you have a bull, Mike Tyson, you have a matador, you have Muhammad Ali, that's where the clean punches, effective aggressiveness, and generalship comes into play. You have a bull that's coming at you throwing punches, but then you have the matador, who in my opinion would be someone like Mayweather or Muhammad Ali, who would be able to be moving from side to side and making the clean punches, getting the points, frustrating the bull because the bull's coming at the red flag that's waving around and he wants to just take you out where that you got the matador who's controlled totally controlling the ring the action in the ring and so you know it just depends you know I, sometimes fighters I, I could see when a pro fighter becomes a judge and i laugh because i remember witnessing in their careers and i love it because those particular <laughs> judges and they're excellent judges because they're they're you know fighters or they're maybe even never became pros, but amateur fighters that are now judging. And I sit and I watch and I see their judging style that reflects a lot of how their boxing style was. So, you know, I, sometimes they, they might favor uh, and not even know it because that's their own style of fighting where there was an aggressive fighter so that you're always looking at that aggressive fighter coming at the other gentleman. So what's unique about me is that I, I've been around, I've seen it, and I see these guys when they go in the ring it's, it's something that you, you have to be able to separate. You have to pay attention to the clean punches. That's where it all starts. Making contact, you know, from the top of the head to your navel, from shoulder to shoulder, and to make sure those clean punches are in areas that it's inflicting damage. You know, uh, another judge was telling me yesterday, uh, well, what about the, the hits to the, to the arms? And of course, I keep saying yesterday because we just did this fight on Saturday, so we kind of do a recap as to, you know, what we witnessed. And yeah, sometimes I do score for hitting on the arm because that is inflicting damage. Over time, those punches, whether it's to the body or to the arms, it's going to inflict damage. Your, your arms are going to get heavier. It's going to be harder in the later rounds. So, you know, those are things that I look for as a judge. Now, you mentioned the heavy hitter names like Tyson, okay. Ali, Mayweather. Uh, me and Cam are hardcore boxing fans. Who would you say are some of the most underrated or underappreciated boxers that maybe some casual fans might not know or respect enough? Unfortunately, Ernie Schaefer's was probably the strongest, heaviest hitter uh, that I've ever uh, had the privilege of meeting. My father, we were at the Struthers Fieldhouse, and if you're familiar with the Struthers Fieldhouse, uh, we were there, Ernie Schaefer's was at ringside, my father, that's all he talked about was Ernie Schaefer's and he, you know, it was all these toughest fight and 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 what I what I remember about the Strutter Fieldhouse is it was smoke. And we were in the nosebleed section and we couldn't even see the ring because there was so much smoke going on. And then my dad wanted me to meet Ernie Schaefer, so he took me down to the rink side and he had one of those Polaroid cameras 
and he took a picture of Ernie and I, and then Ernie signed that particular picture. I wish I had it. I know everyone's going to be asking me for it. Uh, Ernie, unfortunately, just passed away uh, not too long ago, within this year. And uh, I hear it from guys that have fought him. There are guys from the area that said he was one of the most underrated, but most heaviest, toughest guys you've ever met in your life. And he was from the Trumbull County. So... With the boxing scene nowadays, for the younger generation like us, we get the you know the Jake Paul fights and stuff like that. What do you have any thoughts on that specifically? Wow, that's all I gotta say. Wow, wow, wow. Here we are, Rock and Mortgage again. Jake Paul fighting a world champion MMA fighter. I walk, I get there hours before the fight starts. I walk out, I look at Rock and Mortgage, and I said, "Boy, this this guy really screwed up. He self promoted himself, and then he's gonna go in the ring." going to fight an MMA world champion I didn't I didn't I didn't see it coming but then again I don't really pay attention to who's going into the ring I pay attention at my job and when they're fighting that's what I focus on so Jake Paul or it could have been Tom Cruise or whoever it doesn't matter when you're in the ring it's a different story but I came out of the back room with all the other officials and we walked out in the Rocket Morgan there was over 18,000 people on a weekday when you got to go to work the next day, I couldn't believe it. And then I looked down, and I'm like, this guy, this guy only had three fights. How does this even happen? Self-promoted himself. Raised enough uh, capital to, to fund the entire boxing event. Got the Rocket Mortgage Center. And then, from what I understand, part of his purse was to help some of the other undercard fighters make a little bit more money. I tell you what, my, my hat's off to, to those young men that are able to to do that through social media. I was I was totally blown away. And again, you don't call me to come and judge a fight if it's just some exhibition fight. I'm not that guy. They call me in when it's a professional fight, and that is what I went to do that night. And Jake Paul uh, was definitely the winner of that fight that day. There's a lot of uh, speculation about his actual talent level. And from somebody who has been around the sport for so long, what's your opinion on how talented he actually is? You know what? Uh, talent, talent can be found anywhere. A lot of people have talent and they don't even know it. And my, my suggestion is you don't know until you try. So in the service, I was able to go in the ring and we were at Camp House, second in country. Hooah! to the guys that are out there, but, you know, they had boxing rings inside of there so that you can go in there and, and, and go a few rounds with some guys and, and get the feel for it. And there's there's talent, and I think he's talented. I think, you know, I think he's he's, he's a he's a good fighter. I I would not, I would not put him in a ring with someone like a Kelly Pavlik. I, I don't see good things happening for Jake Paul, but the way he's promoting himself, the way he picks the fighters, uh, that he's going to go against, I think it's it's all good, but there's a certain level of of uh, danger when when you cross the line into that caliber of a fighter, because you know guys like Kelly Pavlik, I mean those guys are the real deal, and they could seriously hurt somebody. I'm not saying that Jake Paul can't do that, but I'm just saying it's it's a different level. So you know what he's doing right now is good, and if he can continue to work out and dedicate himself like these fighters do every single day. And it's not the 100-yard dash, it's the 10 miles 
that these guys run every single day to prepare themselves mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If you have that dedication, Jay Paul, then I strongly recommend you continue on. But if you don't, that's what world champions do. They walk around on their hands, they hit tennis balls off the building, they hit bingo uh, numbers on walls, and they'll hit a dot the size of a, a head of a needle on your pads when you're sparring. That is what that is what world champions do. And that's that's the difference. I think regardless of his talent level, what he's done promotionally for the sport has been incredible. Oh, Bringing yeah. a younger audience. With like you mentioned, 18,000 people oh, showed up on a, on a weeknight. Incredible. I, I believe that he has done more for boxing. Mayweather, you know, and, and Jake Paul and fighters like that where it re-energized. It actually brought to light, that, you know, boxing and then there's MMA. And there's, those are two different types of, of warriors. You know, the boxer is the guy that's able to go that 10 miles and, and work out in the endurance. That's, that's tough. The MMA fighter, he works out for that different type of, of uh, fight. To me, is like maybe the 440 or, you know, the quarter mile where, you know, they, there's a lot of takedowns and a lot of different muscles and, and, and things that are required in order to win that fight in, in, in MMA. Now I am licensed in the state of Ohio to do that, but I would I would focus myself on boxing because I feel that I provide that sport uh, a level of expertise that I have that I do not have uh, as an MMA fighter. So if you guys ever see me on the side of a ring as an MMA fighter, that would probably be my first fight, and I I would consider doing it. But again, I don't want to take away from what I look for when there's a professional pro fight. I am totally fixed on what's going on with two gladiators and four-fisted gloves, and it'd be hard for me to judge a fight uh, like an MMA fight because then that would change my entire thought. I'd have to read different books and change my focus. So I think for now I'm going to stick with boxing 100% and uh, leave the MMA judging to those experts that, that train and they're properly uh, prepared to do such now, you mentioned your expertise, and you're clearly a man of many talents. Let's get into the bourbon talk. How did you start distilling your bourbon? A gentleman's drink, a champion's bourbon. And we started this venture back in 2011, where we were invited to a local distillery to, uh, you know, whether or not we would be interested in maybe purchasing the distillery or partnering up with the distillery to make some bourbon because we were very, very serious about doing it. But we had to take a step back and at that time, 2011, there was a big bourbon boom going on, 11, 12, 2014. And we seen that it was, it was, it was going pretty good. And then uh, in the state of Ohio, I think at that time there was maybe only four distilleries and then it grew to like 200 uh, distilleries. So what, what we wanted to do, utilizing uh, my, my background, and not necessarily as a official, but I had a lot of connections with, you know, champions like Buster Douglas, my man, uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. And then I also had the relationships uh, and secured intellectual property rights to the greats, Jack Dempsey, world champion, who fought in 1919 in Toledo, Ohio, believe it or not, on July 4th for the championship of the world against Jess Wooler, who was, I think, 6'7", 
250 and Jack Dempsey, if I'm not mistaken, 5'11", 189, 190, and he schooled him. So anyways, uh, Rocky Marciano, I dealt with his son, Junior, Rocky Junior, and I also dealt with Barb Dempsey, uh, who had the intellectual rights to Jack Dempsey, and Mrs. Haywood, who had the intellectual rights to Jack Johnson. So those spirits that I just mentioned there is part of our, our bourbon line, and it all started here locally, trying to see if we were interested in, in doing it locally. But again, it gets to the, the ability of being able to provide the supply to meet the demand. And so we looked small, and then we decided to, to, to vote locally. And again, I owe that to, to a gentleman by the name of Chuck George, who said, hey, Jamie, you know, because we were going to go and sign in with the Kentucky guys. You know, hey, you know, Kentucky Burger, Kentucky Water, Kentucky, Kentucky. And this gentleman pulled us aside and he goes, you know, before you go down and sign on with these guys, he goes, why don't you go up to uh, Cleveland Whiskey and meet the CEO, uh, Tom Licks. I heard him speak one time. Uh, Chuck said, and he goes, uh, he's from Cleveland, and, uh, you know, you guys, he goes, the way you talk and the way he talks, your your visions are along the same path. So I was honored. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't got a problem. I'll talk to anybody. So we, myself with my partners, uh, uh, TJ Ficino and Mike Sassong, we, we did a road trip up to uh, Cleveland Whiskey. We had the uh, Boom Boom Bourbon that was uh, very successful with Ray. And we're like, okay, we're going to go up there, Tom, talk to Tom Licks and let him know what our what our plan is for uh, spirits. And so before we even get into the room to even meet Tom Licks, the gentleman who was introducing us stopped us at the door and said, listen, you know, a lot of people want to talk to Tom Licks. He just had an article on Fortune 500 magazine. He's kind of like up and coming and, and he, you know, you might only get five minutes with him. A lot of people that have been in before you that, you know, just, you know, he wasn't interested in, that was that. So now I got nervous. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm meeting the CEO of Cleveland Whiskey, and I might only have five minutes, so it would rather be impactful. So I walked in there, I set this on the table, I walked in a room, I introduced myself, shook his hand, our partners all came in, I put the bottle in the middle of the table, I said, this is Boom Boom Bourbon, and our intentions are to have world champion fighters, but I need your your recipes in order to complement these bottles. We don't want gimmicky products that we put out there at high prices and then our customers say, oh, I got a bottle of this particular fighter and it's terrible. No, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a distiller and we're, we have a handful of other distillers in Georgia, Indiana, Kentucky, and we're coming to you because you are what we want as, as the, the manufacturer of our bourbon. And I don't know if you're able to deliver. And so now, by saying that, we caught his attention. Of course, I'm nervous because I only got five minutes. And he goes, well, tell me what your what your program is, what's your vision for, for the spirits. And, and so the team did their, uh, uh, not necessarily a PowerPoint, because we don't do any of that. We just, you know, basically get the product there in front of us. And then we have little sketches of what, what our other labels with our other fighters that we already secured their all our properties to and said, okay, this is what we want these labels. We got professional artists and this type of stuff, and this is how we would like to launch our product. And with that being said, Tom stood up, he shook our hands, he goes, it's a pleasure. I look forward to doing business with you guys, and the rest is history. So our products can be found 
throughout the entire state of Ohio, mostly through Giant Eagle. We put in, you know, hundreds of cases of orders for our spirits, and we also got into Canada. Now, getting into distribution is really tough. I'm no expert when it comes to that type of stuff. I'll leave that up to uh, Cleveland Whiskey and those guys, but it's not easy. It's, it's really hard, and you want to get into states like Nevada and that type of stuff, especially when you got world quality champions that you're representing. Marciano, Dempsey's, the Mancini's, the Buster Douglas's, the Jack Johnson's, and you want to make sure you get them into the home, the boxing capital of the world. And it's been very difficult. We, we've made, we thought we were in there three, four years ago to get disappointed and let down. And what more can I say? Our product are all world winning products. They are world winning. They were sent to the California World Spirits Competition, blind tested, with the best tasting judges in the world, and they picked our product. We have four silver medals, one bronze medal, and one double gold medal. And when, it, when you look at first round, you know that you're getting a quality spirit made from a top company, uh, and a CEO and his son, Andrew, up there at Cleveland Whiskey. These guys take great pride in what they make. And I am just honored to be part of it. And if you're looking for any any of our spirits, again, they're throughout the all state liquor agencies and all that. Well, that's quite the achievement. <clears throat> Backtracking a little bit, Steve alluded to a pretty funny story about Jack Dempsey oh, and the rights there. Oh, <laughs> you know, right? You mind, uh... So, so the story. So the story is is that uh, we received a uh, cease and desist from another company. I'm not going to mention any names. The rights to Dempsey's, so they thought. Uh, and what happened was, you know, we we had several bottles out there already, and you know, what do we do? You know, we got a cease and desist. They came out with Dempsey first, so I called um, the attorneys, and I'm like, how do we handle this? And they're like, well, you know, stop making it. So I, I run upstairs, and there was a law office that I was working for because I'm involved in the oil and gas industry. So I go to the attorneys upstairs. I go, here you go, guys. You got to go to work. And they handed it right back and says, settle. There's no way with this company that's coming after you. We're not even, it's not even going to happen. There's no shot. So I contacted, our team contacted Barb Dempsey. And of course, Barb Dempsey says, well, we have Jack Dempsey. My father came out with after Prohibition. I think we came out first. So anyways, I don't know if that's, if that's why the attorneys backed off or what the rules and the regulations are, but when you get a call from Barb Dempsey saying my dad came out first, you got to respect that. You got to respect that. So thank you for, uh, for that. So ultimately you did keep the rights. Ultimately you could still see Jack Dempsey on store shelves. That's awesome. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. It's not often that you get to no. beat out. No, and I'm sure now that you brought it up, those guys are going to be coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won't be me. I'll put a uh, bar back on it. Yeah. Um, so, at what point did your cigar, cigar career start? Uh, my grandfather, when I was telling you back uh, at a young age, when he retired from the mills in, in the <coughs> 70s and, and moving back to Puerto Rico, my grandfather grew tobacco on his farm. Not the scale of what we see with your Torpuentes and, and those beautiful families that have perfected that and, and the Davidoffs and all those, you know, interesting stories. Davidoff is uh, an 
engineer by trade, from, uh, if I'm not mistaken, from the Netherlands. So anything that you dedicate yourself to, and and you put your heart and soul into it, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be good. And and then if you continue perfecting that trade, then it's going to be excellent. It's going to take off. I mean, there's companies that just started back in the 80s, Alex Bradley, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I only think he's been around not even in the 80s. He was maybe five or six 20, years. Less than 20. Yeah. Without, so so these guys that put their heart and soul into it is what my grandfather did on his farm. I watched him pick the tobacco. I seen what the process that he did with the tobacco and rolled the tobacco. So that was my introduction to tobacco. And my cousin, who was probably 6'2", uh, had facial hair and calves like uh, like uh, uh, Herschel Walker, all right? <laughs> and I remember calling uh, Mike Acre, God rest his soul, uh, one of the best promoters from the Erie uh, area. But anyways, I called Mike Acre from Puerto Rico. I said, I got, I got your next heavyweight world champion right here because she was a scrapper. She worked on the farms. I, I witnessed her. She was the real deal. And he started laughing. He goes, I'll sign her up tomorrow. So I go up to Martha and I said, hey, Martha, I go, uh, we're going we're gonna to get you in the boxing. I, I think you're going to be a great boxer. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. I just want to make sandwiches and work on the farm, Jimmy. Don't worry about that. But when her husband came home drunk and, and tried to you know, push her around a little bit, she threw him right off the, the porch and kicked his butt up one side and down the other. So Martha, I think you should have took me up on that offer because you would have been world champion because you wanted to talk as close as now, I hate to keep bouncing around, but I want to cycle back to the bourbon real quick. Sure. Um, for the listeners out there that don't really understand the whole process of distilling bourbon, what do you think is the most important step that well, separates a great bourbon from your average run-of-the-mill? Excellent question. And it's it's all in, in what you like. We particularly, we, we like Tom Licks and we like this process. We weren't familiar with this process. And I got I to go. We are the, uh, we're, we're the outsiders in the spirits industry when it comes to our product. See, Tom Licks has a proprietary process of making spirits where he literally distills the spirits and takes the barrels that are uh, cut up into like two inch blocks and he infuses the barrels into the spirits and uses this proprietary process where he's able to take an entire five year, 12 year process and, and do it within a matter of a month. And he'll come out with a quality spirit and comparable to those that are out there. I say comparable because I can't tell you how many times I had to line up the bottles and you have the best uh, whiskey from uh, company A and the best whiskey from company B that have aged their products for 5 or 12 years. And then we put our product right there next to them. And we've had some, some well-to-do, not well-to-do, but very well-known, prestigious judges that have done this blind tasting. And i tell you what, gentlemen, we're right there with them. So when you look at that process, you again have to respect the where it all originated from, okay? You don't have the Jake Pauls in boxing, and you don't have the Tom Licks in the spirits distilling if they weren't pioneers. These guys are taking a process that, it, that has been proven for so many years and then you're coming in with your own ideas and your own vision and you're turning industry on its head. Jake Paul turned the boxing industry on its head by self-promoting himself 
and then putting his money where his mouth is. Uh, Tom Lex did the same thing. He took the spirits industry, and that's why he got all the attention from Fortune uh, magazine, because he was able to go in there and turn that industry upside down with this process of making spirits, and they're spectacular spirits. When you could take maple syrup barrels, okay, you can't age spirits in a maple syrup barrel because it would leak. You need the, you know, you need the oak barrels. So what Tom was able to do is say, hey, you want that color, you want that flavor, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to take those barrels that age, that made maple syrup, and we're going to cut those up into those two-inch blocks. So we're going to infuse this, this, this wood and the taste and the color. We're going to get you the consistency of the exact type of bourbon that you're looking for. And bam, there it is. You have a outstanding bourbon that was made in a fraction, a fraction of the time. And then when you taste it with all the other bourbons, we're right there with you. I like how you touched on where if you're passionate about what you're doing and you believe in it and you put the work in, which I think is the most important part, then there's no reason why you can't succeed against you know some of the bigger companies that have more resources and more time to spare and, and put that time in. It's dedication. You have to you have to focus and dedicate yourself. You cannot. There's a lot of deniers out there. Oh, you'll never do this. You'll never do that. You know what? If that was the case, we wouldn't have cigar lounge. Steve and I, because we've been looking for a particular building uh, in a certain area for probably, I don't know, Steve, how many years? Close to 10. 10 years. And then we come out here and we meet a uh, gentleman that owns uh, Woodland Cellars, and he's like, take a look at my place, and, you know, maybe you'll find something out in the Hubbard area. I'm like, okay. And, you know, Steve being from the Hubbard area, of course, I was open-minded to it. So we go out to this event in the back and we, we see that there was a concert going on. And so I walked around and started asking people, you know, what brings you here? And they're like all the music and the homemade wine and the mead. Of course, I wasn't familiar with mead until now, but back then I didn't know what mead was. And, and then his own uh, spirits of uh, making, not spirits, but making beer. So he does beer, mead, and wine. And he had a concert going on in the back. And I'm asking him what brought him here. And then at the same time, I said, well, where are you from? And 75% of the people were from out of town. They weren't even from the Hubbard area. I mean, of course, we had people from Hubbard, but we had such a huge amount of people from outside the Hubbard area to come and enjoy the wine, the mead, and the beer. And this opportunity presented itself here uh, at Cigars, where the building is literally right across the parking lot. We literally share a parking lot with the Woodland Cellars and, and uh, the rest is history. And thanks to uh, Nate and his uh, beautiful wife for uh, inviting us to Hubbard because we got this, uh, we got something special here. And I know Steve talked on it for quite some time. And all I can say is uh, if you haven't experienced a cigar lounge that takes you back into like the 30s and 40s, this is definitely the place. This is one of those locations that you have to try once and then once you do of course our El Periodical Cigars is going to get you to keep coming back because that's what's going to happen and uh, the rest will be history. Yeah like we told Steve earlier it's, it's really inspiring to us to see you guys put the work in and dedicate yourselves to a project like this whether it's the Cigar Lounge or your bourbon or even your boxing career um, it gives us hope moving forward with our goals to see you guys in a small town like this achieve these incredible things so I want to thank you guys for that as I'm sure I speak for our listeners and everybody else out there. You guys are doing a great job. Uh, I can see that you're putting the dedication into this uh, podcast and this company, and I see great things. I, 
I am honored to be in the same room with you guys and, and just the conversations that we had before leading up to this podcast. I, this is my first one I've ever done. I am truly honored. I'm blessed in so many ways with a great family and friends and partners and, and meeting great people. And uh, I appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity to tell my little story and, and uh, be a part of this podcast. And that segues us into one of your other areas of expertise, oh. which... Again, Steve said you did most of the work here by hand as far as renovating this place. Where did you learn the, the handiwork skills and the carpentry and all that? I got to go back to it's a combination of my father who was very uh, – he, uh, he was a dental technician and he was very uh, artistic where he would be able to take wax moldings and sculpture those into teeth. Whereas now you can 3D print teeth and make them, whereas my father was able to make crown and bridge and that type of dentures uh, from just wax <coughs> molds. And there was a lot of focus and attention to detail in what he did every day. And as a young kid watching him and then watching my grandfather in the farm and then my grandfather, I remember uh, uh, a storm came through on our house on the south side over there on Glenwood Avenue. We shot out to the south side of Youngstown. Uh, the sh- we had those shingles. Um, it was slate shingles on the roof that uh, the storm came through and blew them off. And it was so much damage that probably was like more than half of the shingles were gone and damaged. So my grandfather came and was going to fix the roof because that's what he does. He, he did everything. And what my grandfather didn't realize that when he left the ladder there, that this kid that, you know, Jesus Christ, I was probably eight or nine years old I climbed up the ladder and was standing right behind him and when the sun was shining and I stood in the shadow he, it startled him and he looked over and he seen me just standing there looking at him and he you know got nervous and sat down and was shaking because here we are on a roof with this eight-year-old kid and, and he didn't even and he was up there working by himself so he wasn't expecting anyone to come up there and then he realized at that time that you know this kid isn't afraid of heights I'm going to put a hammer in his hand and put him to work while he's up here, and that's what he did. So a lot of the details that you see, again, attention to details, is from what I was brought up with, you know, being around great men, and I am privileged to to have learned so much from them. And I hope that what little I have to offer my son and my beautiful daughter and their lives is that you always want to focus. You don't want to do anything halfway. You want to do it. You want to start it and finish it. Whether it's a good or bad experience in a positive way, whether it's education or life, you have to, what you put your mind to do, you do it. And again, I'm no expert in carpentry, but I paid close attention to what they did, and it's all in the details. You draw it out, you look at it, if you like the way it looks, then you, you take that drawing, and you, if you're able to do it like I was, fortunately, then you, you go out and you put the hammer, and you put your big boy pants on, and you go to work. Uh, but I was only one of a group of five uh, hearing impaired individuals that did the majority of the work. Of course, I was here every single day with them, but they were definitely the team. It, it took a team, T-E-A-M. Together, everyone accomplishes more. You're, not, you're only one person, but there's a team that makes you look good. And everything that I've accomplished in my life is because of team. What I've accomplished in boxing took a team to make this individual. What I've accomplished in business and the spirits industry took a team to, to make us successful in the spirits industry. And then what we do here at Cigar Lounge, again, it's a team. I'm just one individual with a lot of stories, and I happen to remember most of them. So that's why I'm here. Uh, the stories are definitely great. And 
Yeah, the artistry definitely tells with the tile work and the humidor and the art on the floor upstairs and the, even this beam that's the floor supporter. <laughs> yeah, we have a beam that runs straight through the middle of the building, which um, before we, we moved into the building, you know, we had all the inspectors and all the experts that come through here, national presidents of home builders associations, and all giving us their opinion, and they go run a level from one end to the other. And of course, you know, I'm very confident this building was built in 1919. It's an old hardware store. I mean, bones are unbelievable. Uh, so we ran that level, and there's a beam that runs across the middle of the floor that was, um, you know, less than a quarter inch off, and they made me make sure that it was correct. So that type of detail, when you were a quarter inch off, and it was unnoticeable to the human eye, when you're surrounded by experts that are focused on the details, you do things right. So yes, we did the beams, we we uh, did all the work that complements what we have in downtown Youngstown. We have Little, what they call this peak easy lounge in downtown Youngstown. So what you see here complements what we have there in Youngstown, Ohio. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. There's just so much in this room that to talk about that I just, I don't even want to spoil it. I want you to, to just make the trip out here, see for yourself, enjoy a cigar. You don't got to go crazy and buy boxes. Just try one, enjoy the ambience. And if you like what we have, then yeah, consider buying one. It's no longer a quarter inch off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> put it, it, let's put it that way. Quarter inch off because they, they checked it three times. So, yeah, we've got a lot going on here at the lounge as far as uh, a beautiful deck that we had um, uh, our architect, uh, Doug Sick, uh, designed the architectural rendition. We took it to zone. You, know, you got to do all those things. You got to do it right and make sure that you, you go through the proper channels and everything. And so we're going to get the deck in hopefully this spring. We've got a good uh, response from members. We've got a good uh, number of uh, lockers that are filled up. So, I mean, they're available while they last. So if you're interested in becoming a member, now's the time. Because once we put that deck up, we're going to probably jack up the price. Not because of because uh, it's the uh, the deck and we got to cover those expenses. But, you know, we started off here in July 4th. And we said we're going to give it a good year to try to get things going and maybe in about maybe eight months from that time we're going to you know put the price to where the rest of the competition has their prices at so but we have about 2,500 square foot three floors and the deck will be going off the back of the membership area and we've got some picture frame windows that we want to put in the front that are much larger so that our members can enjoy the views and, and uh, so yeah there's a lot going on thanks for reminding us now uh, <clears throat> me and Kenneth started this project together here in the past three months. So to ask you guys who've been friends for a long, long time, how has starting a business together strengthened your friendship? You know what? Uh, business is like anything. You got to, whatever you go into business with, you have to be able to trust with your family and your kids. That's how I look at it. It's like a relationship, like a marriage. And finding the right business partner has to be that type of individual. So of course, I knew Steve and, and what he has to offer and his background and his talents and his personality. It was a no-brainer. Everywhere I go with Steve, he has this beautiful personality. He starts talking to people, and then before you know it, he brings them over to me, and I come up with the stories, and then all of a sudden we got friends, and then our friends in the Columbus area, shout out to those guys down at Governors, and and uh, our friends here at Cut and Toast, and our friends at the... Um, cigar Vibe. Uh, no, the Cigar Vibe. Of course, I haven't been there yet. I look forward to coming and visiting you as well, husband and wife uh, business. But... Uh, it's just 
what we have here is special. And our relationship, Steve and I and his wife and my wife, it's it's special. It's it's a family. It's not really a partner. You know, I um one of the things there's a school of thought with that starting a business that you know, you don't want to go into business with your relatives or friends. I've heard that before. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm the opposite of that. I don't know how you go into business with somebody that isn't a relative or a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be like-minded. You have to have the same kind of morality. You have to have the same kind of work ethic. You have to have the same kind of... You don't necessarily have to have the exact same talents, but you have to have the exact same philosophy and goal and morality and yeah. work ethic. And I don't know how you do that with strangers. Yeah. I don't know how you do that with somebody that's a casual acquaintance. I have a couple other businesses and I, I consider myself very good friends with any business partner that I've ever had up to and including Jamie. Well, yeah, I mean, a big testament to business is trust and things like that. And especially with the talent differential, like if your talents complement the other's weaknesses, then that makes it that much easier, you know? I definitely so, couldn't have fixed that bean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we asked Steve earlier, um, any advice for us as being young entrepreneurs? Or any, city, any or, people starting out. Yeah, anyone starting any yeah. kind of business. Number one in anything, it's listen more and talk less. People are going to tell you. I mean, where are you going to hear stories like what Steve and I were able to share with you guys? I mean, you're just putting a microphone in front of us. We talk about these stories all the time to our members, our friends. I mean, this is our life. And the <laughs> difference... Uh, what we're doing compared to what you guys are doing is right now, this is huge. People want to hear stories like ours, you know, but we were never given that platform. We were never given a microphone to have the opportunity to put our stories out there so the world can hear them, whether it was the spirits or whether it's cigars or whether it's carpentry or whatever it is. And you guys have something special. And I believe uh, what you're doing with the sports and what you're doing with the cigars, I mean, what, 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 what's better than sports and cigars? I mean, you guys are hitting it right on the head. So, my advice again is is always listen more and talk less. Let, ask questions wherever you go. Don't don't be intimidated by those that are more successful and have more listeners because you know what that'll come and then they're going to come and they're going to wish you success and then team comes into play. Those that don't wish you success, you don't want to be around them. But those like you know we're giving shout outs to to our competitors. Why? Because. They're not our competitors, they're our friends. We're business people. We're small business people. We want to be successful. There's enough of the pie to go around, and, and we want everyone to have a good life. You guys are up and coming. You're listening. You're getting stories, and, and one of your interviews are going to be special, and that's what's going to get people's attention, and that's what's going to get your listeners. Steve uh, was telling me, what was uh, there was a podcast. What was that called, Steve? With, uh, uh, Crime Town yeah. USA or Crime Scene USA, it was about the, the history of um, um, the mob in Youngstown, Ohio. And it actually became the number one podcast in the world. Oh, in the world for, for, for a couple months, I think, actually. And a funny thing, I'd never heard of podcasts. Or I'd never listened to a podcast, I should say. My kids have been after me for years. you got to listen to podcasts. you got to listen to podcasts. And it was that, that particular podcast that caught me. And they... Put it on my phone and showed me how to use it and showed me how to turn it on. And I'm I'm hooked. I think it's a it's a wonderful platform. On that note, I want you guys that are listening that, that have heard that podcast. And, I'm, and obviously if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to want to reach out and maybe listen to that podcast because the very end of that podcast, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't heard it, but so I'm told 
there's a specific type of photo that's in that podcast that can only be seen at Sagaro Lounge. Yes. Traffic. And it's, about a, it. it's the congressman himself, uh, Tim Traffic, and may rest his soul. Uh, we have a photo that was uh, featured in that podcast, and it's only available here at Sagaro Lounge, along with a lot of his his work that he did when he was incarcerated. That's the, a lot of his paintings are located here that uh, we acquired throughout the years, and we just, you know, sitting in our closets, uh, wasn't doing anyone any good. You know, I had a cigar in Indian, wooden cigar Indian in my house for probably, I don't know, 10 years, and I think the only people that ever knew that I had it were my, my good friends that had come over like once every six months to pick me up or maybe have a smoke before we go out and do something uh you know i had the cigar indian for 10 years and now i've got a lounge and not everybody gets to appreciate it so that's what's unique about cigars there's a lot of little unique little uh details the work the photos the, the decorating the way that the lounge was designed for its members with peel boxes as cigar lockers you got to figure put your imagination on that one and see how how you would incorporate peel boxes with uh, with uh, as a locker for cigars? We have it here at Cigars. You got to see it. Yeah, even down. Was, even, I'm going to say even down to the music and the, and the mm. TV upstairs. You know, and we we talked about this earlier in the in the last episode. But so we always have Sinatra, yeah. Dean Martin, Rat Pack. Always the same music. Time Warner classics. On Time the Warner classics on the TV upstairs. Yeah. So and. You know, you, you, it, maybe it sounds hokey, I don't know, but it, it yeah. really, it works. I mean, we, you come in here and there's a mood. Yes. The, a mood, and it's exactly like the mood at the smaller place downtown. Well, on that, like Steve said, it's the mood, but you, you want to capture the senses, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a business like Cigaro's, you want to capture the sense, the sense of smell, the sense of vision, the sense of touch, mm -hmm. the feeling. You, you've got to get all those senses, the sense of hearing, hear the music it puts you in a certain mood you get the smell of the cigars and the spanish cedar i mean we've got a phenomenal walk-in humidor and the then the cigars and the way the cigar feels i mean we have cigars that, that feel like silk in your hands i mean it's it's we touch on all the senses and it's consistency every time you come here it's always those type of of uh of artists music playing like steve mentioned sinatra and Tony Bennett and all those great uh, musicians. Dean Martin, of course, from Studentville. Shout out to the Studentville, Ohio people. Uh, you're going to get that at Cigaros. Now, if there's a, a football game going on the local channels or whatever, of course, we're going to watch it. But uh, for the most part, 90% of the time, you're watching Tom Warner Classics because you would think that there's a TV with a remote that they would change the channel, and they don't. They sit there. And they're watching these old movies. It's amazing. And then the music, you would think that people would come in and want to hear 70s, all like the 80s. No, they come in, they enjoy the cigars, and they enjoy the music. So with just that, it's just something special. So kind of a funny story. We, when, when we were doing our research for this, we went into cigar places all over the state, all over multiple states. And we went into a place that was pretty much like this. It was yeah. actually a really nice place. And we went in there, and Jamie looked at me, and he said, what's missing? And I said, I don't know, but some, there is something missing. Yeah. You know, there is something missing. Exactly. And it looked like this. It, yeah. There was a nice fireplace. It yeah. was a house. It exactly. was very homey and folksy and yeah. interesting old stuff on the yeah. walls. 
There was no music. There was no music. There was no music, and it was it sets the mood. It sets, sets the mood. It was there was something missing. Uh, like we told Steve earlier, as soon as he walked in, it's like walking in a time machine almost. And unfortunately, you know, we didn't get to live in the '40s and '50s to experience it in real time. But walking in, I feel like I have a pinstripe suit on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just a slice of history, really. That's it's a great experience you can give to people that you can't really get anywhere else. That's what we were going for. And it's funny you would say that because one of our uh, employees mentioned having a, uh, a night, uh, you know, like a, um, a night where you wear your pinstripe suit and your worn 20s gown. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what that would be called, that type of night. It's not as... Um, uh, 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 an event where you, where you pay tribute to the oh the war in twenty something like that you know with the uh, the dancers and that type of stuff so you know if you have any ideas that you'd like to share with us that you think that uh, we can have a special event here at Cigars whether it's a tribute to the war in twenties or to Dean Martin and their music I mean we are totally open minded to ideas we. we <laughs> There's events going on that we didn't even know that were going on in our in the front door, and they say you should partake. And we're like, well, we only got like a day's notice, so we put a sign out front. And the whole town, because we put a sign out front, we invited them inside. We're open, you know. Give us ideas, and, and we'll be more than happy to implement those ideas and bring you in. On top of all that, all the little personal touches in the decor, mm-hmm. it really makes this place feel really unique and really homey. And it's an environment and ambiance that I haven't seen anywhere else. That could even compare. We, we have some of the rarest uh, antiques items that are out there that you're just not going to see anywhere else. We have humidors that were designed, handcrafted uh, by the Monte Cristo family that were commissioned by artisans, and there's only 500 of each of these type of, of humidors that are in existence, and we have them here at Cigaros. Uh, we've got events for future unveilings of some of these particular types of uh, humidors that were handcrafted. You know, and when I say humidors, it's not a little box that's 12 inches by 4 inches with uh, Spanish cedar inside. I'm talking an entire 3 foot, 300 cigar capability humidor that's, that's to scale. That's to scale. And it's been used to reward top Monte Cristo dealers across the country for being top sellers and we have those here at Cigars. Yeah, and the <clears throat> craziest thing about those humidors is they were only passed out in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Steve told us about those earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this place is phenomenal. Uh, we, we told Steve like 600 times. We Talk about the quilt. Oh, well, uh, back in, if I'm not mistaken, and you uh, that are more cigar experts than myself, we have the felt uh, flags from different countries, and I know it's old because the United States flag only had 48 stars on it. And we have a quilt that was actually sewn together using these flags from the different cigar boxes that were that were uh, accumulated over the years. And this quilt, I was telling Steve, he's like, "When's the last time you had it out of the box?" I'm like, "I never actually took. I've seen a photo of it before it was put in the box." And I have had this for about 15 years, and I've never even taken it out of the box. And the first time I did that was here at Cigars when I hung it up so that everybody could appreciate it. Again, getting back to having unique items at your house where no one can appreciate to when you come to a place like this or you go into a business for yourself or, 
or your own home and then you open up these presents you know steve has a lot more presents than i have but it was just a good feeling you have an opportunity to, to bring all this stuff out for people to enjoy and that flags those little flags that uh, we're talking about were on the lids of cigar boxes and then you accumulate about a hundred of them or even 500 of them and then you're able to sew them together and make a beautiful quilt and that's that's some of the things that we have here at cigars that's available for our for our customers and those who come to visit us periodico oh yeah the the el periodico is the connecticut was just as good as the maduro i mean that's really up to personal taste and yep. I, I personally think the coolest touches that are wrapped in newspapers you hit it right on the head so when you're looking at cigars and you walk into a humor board and they're all excellent cigars you can get an excellent cigar for 25 dollars you can get an excellent cigar for two dollars okay what's unique about el piotico is it's, it's priced just right and this cigar what makes it different it's wrapped in spanish newspapers spanish print newspaper and the newspaper ages with the cigar so if you see a white newspaper okay more likely that newspaper is from like 2020s and if you have a dark newspaper then that, that that's probably from like 20 or the 2000s so el periodico cigar which is e-l-p-e-r-i-o-c periodico i-o-e-o periodical periodico that particular cigar is is just spectacular and when you walk into a humidor and you see this cigar that's wrapped in uh, newspaper it stands out there's other companies that wrap their cigars in leaves which are genius and then when you say oh i gotta try this this is wrapped in a leaf and it's a phenomenal cigar then you want to go back that's the same thing that we're doing here with the periodical cigar you open that cigar like you open the newspaper and then you try that cigar it gives you that same experience it's something very special yeah, the phenomenal idea. I mean, it's amazing that you guys came into contact with that fella in Miami and just the amount of talent he has and rolling cigars Again, is crazy. We met a lot of people that have that, that ability to, to make great cigars, but can they meet the supply? We are looking for rollers that can meet our demand for our, for our members. I mean, you know, we bought a hundred cigars and in three days we went through 100 cigars and then we realized maybe we should get 150 and in three days we went through 150. So we're like, oh, so then we're like, oh, is he going to be able to provide that amount of inventory for our members? And he has not disappointed us. So far, so good. He's been, been right on. And the term, again, a periodical cigar comes from it's wrapped in newspaper. Uh, and that's what really gives it its unique, it, it makes it stand out. Like cigars, it's unique, it stands out. Our cigar, unique, it stands out. And again, like our spirits, you can't just have, you know, uh, a good-looking uh, whiskey. You can't have just a good-looking cigar, but your product has to live up to that demand. And there's a lot that goes into the El Periodico cigars. I mean, the the craftsmanship and, and the way it feels in your hand and the smoke, it's just, it's an experience. You have to, you have to definitely uh, try it out. And you nailed it, saying it's unique, which you can only get these here. That's correct. We're which, only, only in town. Even that by itself is enough to make this a destination spot. Mm -hmm. When you add in all the beautiful touches here at this mm -hmm. lounge, it's absolutely a, if you like cigars, if you don't like cigars at all, this is a must stop. 
Well, we apologize for the hesitations because we are actually all smoking up the oil cigar right now. <laughs> yes, so as we should we're be. like in the middle of uh, talking and spelling. We're like puffing cigars and all that stuff at the same time. Uh, I invite everybody out there. And again, we're at uh, 230 uh, North Main Street here in Harvard, Ohio. And we'd like to invite you and your friends and everybody out here. Steve has our email address. <laughs> Website. Website. You don't even have yeah. to terminology. <laughs> See how little we know about yeah. this? So we're, we're www.cigaro, cigar lounge. Cigaro is spelled with an S, and that's actually the Italian word for cigars. Yes. So it's www.cigaro, with an S, cigarlounge.com. We're on Facebook, under Cigaro, with an, again, with an S. And we have a pretty active Facebook page. We, we put all of our events on the... The website, the but gallery of photos, oh, galleries man. of photos. Yeah. I mean, if you go to if you go to um, Facebook and you know the way Facebook works, you can go back historically and look at the, the posts that we've done before, and you can historically look back. We actually started the Facebook page before we bought this yes. building. Yes. So there's pictures. The there's pictures of this this building the day we looked at it. You know, before we ever bought it. Wow. And one of the things that we hope to do here at some point is we're gonna. We're going to get a TV down here, yeah. and we're going to put a kind of a continuous loop with all the pictures from our renovation. Um, because I work out of town, and Jamie was here every yeah. night, yeah. so we just kind of like communicated back and forth with pictures. Mm -hmm. And almost every night, he would text oh, yeah. me a series of photos, like, look what we did. Yeah. And so, you know, when you take that whole body of work, it's, it's beautiful. Put it together. It's actually beautiful. You know, when you look back, and we look back and we see the colors that the walls used to be. And yeah what the windows looked like before the trim was built around the arches and the details. What the ceiling looked like when it was a quarter of an inch off, right? And let me tell you, a quarter of an inch makes a big difference. It doesn't sound like a lot of doesn't sound like a lot of space, but it, it looked like it was coming down. Steve, can we mention uh, Donnie by any chance someone you know they caught us off guard. Yeah, yeah, we, we heard about Yeah, us. yeah, we, we we talked a little bit about that. Oh so you know, so yeah. when, when we opened, we you know a lot of the a lot of the initial push for memberships were people that we knew. You know, people from other, not necessarily from Hubbard, Jackson but from some of the other other yeah. communities, and and so just the, the the host of people that have been to Jamie's place in downtown Youngstown over the years. Yeah. Um, the Vindies is a oh local a, a local band. You know, Jack beautiful and the group. Vindies. We love you guys. Beautiful group of people. Beautiful group of people. Who, she brought who actually opened up for Donnie Iris and the Cruisers. Who these guys are too young to. Oh my god! You know, to, oh, to, to, they, they knew that they knew oh, the name of the exit in the research. Bon Jovi opened for Donnie Iris in 1983. Yeah, you know wow. Bon Jovi. Yeah, yeah you know a little bon, guy from New Jersey named Bon, bon Jovi. Bon Jovi <laughs> for him. Yeah, yeah. And he's a phenomenal guy. He's a, a huge cigar guy, and the people at the Vindies. No. So he, he, she brought him. She says, you know, this is, he's going to love this place. He's going to love the cigars. And, and he does. Yeah. And, you know, it's people like that. I mean, we've got politicians and boxers yeah. and, Both sides, and businessmen Democrats. and, you know, no, no, you know, men and women. You know, mm -hmm. one thing we didn't talk about earlier. So I found Huge. out in the course of the course of doing this that 20 some percent, you know, 22, 24, 25 percent. Of the cigars that get sold in America are sold to women. Now it's impossible to tell how many of them actually smoke those, but you know, close to a quarter of the cigars in America are sold to females. Uh, yeah, that's significant. And so I noticed just you know my my connection with Columbus. You know, so I'm in a cigar club up here, and I'm in a cigar club down in Columbus. And up here, there's one woman, 
and down in Columbus, there's it's more like twenty percent. So, so one of our goals in, in when we opened was we wanted to increase our membership and really try to reach out to to women. Oh, and on that note, Steve, and and I, I just grabbed the microphone off because I don't want to forget. <laughs> but uh, what we notice is some of the spouses that come in uh, with their husbands, and now they are cigar smokers. And Steve and I weren't. Uh, acid cigar smokers and and we found out quickly that you know 40% of our sales comes from acid cigars and what really got my attention with women smoking cigars is they like those flavored cigars which we have we have a Dosaviche Barbara Perfecto cigar that I highly recommend but their nails they literally had their nails painted like the bands that are on the cigars and I'm like oh my god that's spectacular so if you have your nails done in a cigar band or smoking a cigar and you want to show off those nails, send those photos over to Cigars because we will definitely post that because we witnessed it and it was ingenious, wasn't it? I, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. I mean, you literally cool had a, uh, a CAO cigar band uh, Amy had on her nails. It was spectacular. Uh, a shout out to our staff, you know, Lynn and Bobby and our cruise director <laughs> and everyone that makes up the cigar team. We really appreciate it again team together everyone accomplishes more steve and i you know we we don't even know websites and emails and stuff like that and here and here we have uh, a team that's behind us that makes us look good and because of them we're able to accomplish and provide our customers that service that attention to detail that we offer everybody and the team that, that's behind us that pushes us every day to do to reach out to podcast people to reach out to different sources of media to put ourselves out there Again, we are listening to what our customers have to say, and we are more than happy to incorporate a lot of your ideas, but we definitely want to invite you to our place here in Hubbard, Ohio. Yeah, and again, it's a phenomenal place, and I'll be honest, the world's best camera can't mm. do this place justice. Oh, yeah. You have to. Seeing is believing it, and I'm sure Steve did a good job describing the place. And all I could say is when the, the Hubbard, the mayor himself, comes with his family and his mother sharing the experience i mean that's something special most of the time you think you know a guy is going to come by himself well no now this is a place where you bring your family and you enjoy it unfortunately kids not unfortunately it's good that you you know have to be of legal age to to be here but when i say family it's husbands with their wives that are here enjoying the ambience of what we have to offer that is that is very unique and and that's what we want we don't want you to come by yourself we want with your loved ones and enjoy this experience. It's really family oriented, and um, you know we talked a little bit about this in the first uh, the first segment that we did. But it's um, I, you know we, we have probably twenty percent of our customers are female now, oh, yeah. and everybody that works here, Jamie and myself yeah. as well, um, absolutely like a almost like a sommelier in a restaurant. You know when people come in, if they if they come in to buy a brick house and they know they want a Maduro, that's fine. But if somebody comes in and says, well, you know, I'm kind of new to cigars. I don't know. I don't know what I should do. Anybody that's working here is going to be an absolute expert and be able to lead them in the right, in the right direction. Um, you know, like we, we alluded to a little bit earlier and Jamie mentioned as well, you know, we're not acid guys, but we have a, 40, we have a bunch of acids, you know, 40% of our business. So we've made it our business to understand those, those sticks and know what they're like. And, you know, there's, you mentioned the La Dolce Vita, oh, yeah. which is um, kind of like our go-to for the new cigar smoker. Oh, yeah. 
I like them. I mean, they're, they're that's, it's, that's it's our decent, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a decent little. When cigar. our inventory is running low, and we're like, oh boy, we got to we got to leave these periodicals for our customers. We're, <laughs> we're looking in there. Okay, that's a DJ. That's exactly what I yeah. That's exactly when I switch over when the <laughs> when the Maduros are running low. Yep. When we have less than ten, I and, then, and, over. Then the, and then somehow our inventory finds its way. We're like, oh my god, we're like down to like five cigars. Where's this order? Is it ever going to come? You know, the weekend's coming up. Bam, three hundred, three hundred cigars, and and everywhere's like it's like Christmas. You know, it's presents. Every time we get it, we're so excited, and uh, you know, we get them, we get a stock in, and we get them on the shelves, and. And uh, again, everything here, as far as the humidity and the temperature, it's all controlled, and, and our cigars are, are very appreciated. And what's unique also is that uh, we have a humidor in the Speakeasy uh, Lounge in Youngstown that have been in those humidors since 2014. And when we offer those to people, it's just as if we can put them in there. So that is the that is the secret. Spanish cedar that keeps these cigars aged and preserved as they should be. You can take shortcuts, but then you're going to have these cigars that are going to start falling apart. So you can guarantee when you come here to cigars, you're going to get an excellent stick. So I guess one more thing that we didn't talk about that I think is, is worth mentioning. I became a grandfather for the first time. Literally, literally about a year ago, right now. Literally, about right now. I just went to, I just went to a first birthday party last Saturday, right? So a year ago, I, you got, and, and again, you know, you guys are of a certain age. You might not remember this. So back in the day when you had a baby, I mean, when when I was born, your father went out and bought a box of cigars. Absolutely. You know, and you passed right. them out. Right. And you probably took them in the hospital and passed them out. They went to the doctor, yeah. right? So... Uh, so I'm going to become a grandfather, and Jamie goes looking for a, it's a boy cigar. Yeah. Now, you know, back in the day, they were probably, I'm not going to use brand names because no. I don't want to sound derogatory, like but, yeah. but they were, they were, it was a novelty cigar that you went to the exactly. five and dime for, yeah. and you bought a 10 cent cigar, and yeah. it really tasted like a 10 cent cigar, but it, right. it had a nice little stork on it, and it was blue, and it said was it's a boy, a boy and, and it said it's a boy, and that was okay, well, you know. We're, we're pretty good cigar smokers here, so he's got to find me something good. So so Jamie goes out, and he starts looking, and he finds out that, and I, I never knew this, mm-hmm. you know, Fuente, big name, you know, beautiful company, great cigar. Fuente makes it. It's a boy cigar. And he can't find him anywhere. Yeah. Thank goodness we have a tobacco license. So, yeah. You know, we can, we can shop at wholesale places and, you know, shop around. So he finds a box of these absolutely wonderful Fuente it's a boy cigars. And, you know, that was, so let's see, that was a year ago. We weren't in business yet. We owned this place. We knew right then and there. But he, he says, you know, we're, we're always going to have these. So yes. now watch, I'm going to shoot my mouth off and we're going <laughs> to, we're going to have a run on them. But so we always have an inventory and we've sold quite it's a, a few. It's a we always have at least a couple different brands. Rocky Patel. Rocky Patel and Alex Fuente. Bradley. Alec Bradley. Yeah. I mean, we're talking good brands. We're not talking those novelty yeah. dime store cigars. cigars. We're talking good top-notch brands. We always have It's a Boy. We always have It's a Girl in multiple good premium brands. So, And they're pretty affordable. It's a pretty affordable box of cigars. So if you're going to become a parent or you're going to become a grandparent or you're going to, you got a friend that just had a baby, you know, it's... This is the place. We always have them in stock. Come on in. Buy a box of them. And by the way, when you buy a box of cigars here, 
you get a day pass upstairs. Ooh, hey, there it is. That in Big itself is, it's a, so not only is it a public area a site to see, but we also, like Steve mentioned, there's day passes that are available. And if you buy a box, you get a pass to, to go into the members area, which is an entirely different uh, uh, level of uh, uniqueness. Um, again, I'll leave that to the imagination, but it is a beautiful little area that we have dedicated for our members. And uh, when you go up there, you'll see it. I, I'm sure you guys probably talked about the theater room, the game room, and the uh, actual the uh, kitchen area and so on and so forth. So uh, it's not a commercial kitchen. We don't have any of that stuff going on. But it's a kitchen area where you can bring in your food from you know the winery next door, and, and then we'll set everything up with TV trays, or you can make your orders from uh, Woodland Cellars next door, and they'll actually bring the food over. So you know we have a very uh, I don't. It's just so much to offer. It's just you know, we, you know, sometimes take things for granted, and then our and then our customers come in and say, "I can't believe that you just ran and grabbed the TV tray and because I was eating my food on my lap." I'm like, "Yeah." They go, "What made you think of that?" I'm like, "I don't know. You got to have TV trays when you're eating dinner, right?" You know. So, I haven't. Uh, you know, we, we we're open on. Um, I should probably mention. So, on Wednesday and Thursday, we're open from four to nine. Yes. On Friday and Saturday, we're open from noon to eleven. But of course, we're here later than that, mm-hmm. almost every Friday and yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Sunday, we're open from 12 to 5. And so I hadn't seen 1 o'clock in the morning for probably 15 or 20 years oh my God. until this place <laughs> opened up. Yeah. And I'm, I, I come in here on a Friday or a Saturday. And, you know, a lot of times my wife will come in and we'll go to the winery for dinner. And she'll come and she'll hang out for a little while. She's not going to sit here for eight hours, yeah. but she'll come, and, she'll come and spend a little bit of time have a cup of coffee, I smoke a cigar, she goes home. I, I've been here at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning a lot more than I, I'm but reliving my youth. It, it's, like, it's like being in Vegas, Steve, where the time just goes yeah, by. You don't even realize. Yeah. You guys, yeah, how long, we, you, you've been here eight hours, right? Not long enough. Oh yeah. My God. Not long enough. Yeah. 7 o'clock. Yeah. 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 So it's just time... Yeah. Time passes differently in here, I think, is a, is a good way to think about it. But it's Absolutely. the people, it's the conversations <laughs> that you're having with people, the new people that you meet. I mean, I, I, I tell you what, I, there's nothing like you're sitting here, you're having a cigar, and a gentleman walks in, an old-timer, and then he starts going with his stories. And then it gets your attention, and he's telling you about his career as a, as a veteran in the military. And, of course, myself being a veteran, and we just had a veteran's event on, on Veterans Day where, again, Lena's pierogies, V2s, Mission Barbecue. Um, a lot of our members uh, went out to Lake Erie, caught walleye fresh, and went home and cooked it and then brought it to our members. I mean, we fed our veterans like family. There it is. That's mm-hmm. it. I mean, it was family set up where we set up the table. And you, if you're in a mood for fish, if you're in a mood for Pool Park from uh, from the Royal Oaks, I mean, we had a little bit of everything, and it was all spectacular. Gianna's Candy, how about that for a supporter? You have a beautiful meal. We had fudge from one of our members that made some uh, bourbon-infused fudge that's going to take our first-round products, the Boom Boom Bourbon, to have a maple fudge. So she's going to take the Boom Boom Bourbon that's maple, aged in maple, and she's going to make maple so it'd be uh, boom boom spudge. Of course, before we put that out there to, for sale, we're going to get Ray's blessing and make sure that we can do this because you know, again, you got to make sure you do things right, and yeah. <laughs> we don't want to do things wrong. But yeah, we've got a lot. We 
do a lot for uh, different charitable events, not only the veterans, but we're looking forward to doing other charitable events. So if you have an idea and you want to uh, have an event, get a hold of Joanna, or let's <clears> <throat> calls our, our cruise director. She will, she'll handle all the, the arrangements for us uh, through our website. So, and I, I think one other thing that we definitely didn't talk about earlier, so we have these events, we have member events, we also have public events. A lot of times we open up the member events to the public if they want to pay, you know, it's free for the member, but the public can come if they pay. Um, we're closed on Mondays and Tuesdays, and actually the whole house mm -hmm. is available for rental on Mondays and Tuesdays. And we've yeah. done that a couple times. Yeah. You know, we've rented it out to different organizations. Somebody had a political fundraiser, not us. You know, somebody somebody rented the place yeah. and did a political fundraiser here. We also had a church group that rented it, and we had a family reunion here. Yeah. So we've had groups that yes. you know would come in on the days that we're not that we're not open and so, rent the place. We staff it. We won't do the food. We won't do the alcohol. But they can come in and they can get a bartender. They can yeah. get a caterer. We staff it. For the cigars, you know, we'll have one of our staff members here so that we can sell cigars if they want. Yeah, and and, and one of our uh, again, you listen, you listen more, and you talk less. But one of our members came in and said, "Hey, uh, what about a stack?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, that'd be great." How many guys? He goes, "No, Jack and Jill." I'm like, "Jack and Jill, what's that?" He goes, "It's a husband, it's a to be couple, husband and wife that are going to have both the husband and the wife together with their friends all in the same room." having a Jack and Jill stack. I thought that was spectacular. Great idea. So this is the type of environment that you can have those types of events. Uh, whether it's a, a stack for, for the guys or a Jack and Jill stack for men and women together, or just a, a Jill stack where the ladies want to get together. We have uh, female uh, people here that work and know are very knowledgeable of cigars. Again, all that goes through Joanna. She'll lead you in the right direction. And Lynn, who is a lifesaver here, I want to do a special shout out to um, uh, Lynn, our GM, who uh, we have these unique PO boxes that um, that you're able to keep your cigars. And we went to many locksmiths trying to find a lock that could actually put on these PO boxes so that members can lock their boxes. And you know, three four years ago when we weren't, you know, didn't have this place, I ordered ten locks, thinking, okay, you know, I have them and I can order more as the membership progresses. Well. As soon as we came in here, we sold those 10 memberships immediately, and it, it, we couldn't find anyone to do locks. So Lynn, again, through his connections and members and friends, were able to find a lock that is no longer made. And thank God for that. It's just, it's, it's the friendships, it's the people that makes this so special. You know, just when you think, oh my God, we got all these beautiful lockers and we're not going to be able to provide it. Uh, security because we can't find locks. They don't make them anymore because these lockers from the 20s and 30s. And then here's a here's our GM that says, you know what? I think I can do this. I think I can find them. And he did his research and was able to come through for us. So we have the key locks. We have the combination locks. We have access to to both those. And and then we also have unique uh, whiskey lockers on the second floor for those who want to keep their spirits hidden and locked up so that when you come enjoy the place after hours and 24 hours. Uh, we have certain members that come late at night because they work all day. So there's a group of guys that, you know, come at one o'clock in the morning and, and uh, have their meetings and so on and so forth because that's the time that they do their business. So, you know, Cigaros has a little bit of everything for everyone. Yeah, we touched on earlier, there's really no more welcoming or inclusive community mm -hmm. 
than that of the cigar world. And it's been no more obviously presented than right here at Cigarro. Um, you guys have been so hospitable, so welcoming. I thank you guys so much for your time, for the invite out here, for the incredible cigars. Um, I really can't thank you guys enough for the opportunity. And um, hopefully we can help drive some more business up this way. I know we'll definitely be back we'll as much as possible. Mi casa, su casa. And it, it feels, you, yeah. you get that Amen. feeling here for sure. Amen. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. We're, this is a, a true, absolutely family-oriented business. It's a family it's business. It's a, it's a great place to come and bring your husband or wife or kids if they're old enough. Colleagues, um, come and have a good time. Come check us out. Feel free. We're, we're about as welcoming a business as you'll ever find. Yeah, we could sit and talk here all night. Again, time just goes by differently. We've had six hours, seven hours here, and it's been incredible. I don't want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to quit smoking. Third floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will take that offer. Once again, thank you guys so much for the opportunity. Uh, Cam, any last words? Just to reiterate, I mean, seriously, thank you guys so much. Steve reached out. We made the, we made the deal. <clears throat> he wasn't too sure if you were going to be here. And I and was not prepared to, to pick up the mic, and, and I wasn't didn't know what to expect, and I'm here. I'm glad that you incorporated myself and my partner and our team, and we are very blessed. We, we are very grateful for this opportunity to speak to the public uh, through your podcast, and thank you for making us a part of your show. Of course, and again, thank you guys for having us out. Hospitality, through the roof. I mean, I, this place is leaving me speechless time and time again. <laughs> and it's an experience, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a destination spot. Like, I know, I know we'll have at least a couple guys that'll travel out here that live by us, and they'll make the journey and probably spend all day out here, and I, they'll, obviously, word of mouth is the best way to do things. And this podcast. This podcast. Yeah, we're very grateful that we can give you guys a platform to advertise and, you know, get everybody, once you get to know somebody, it makes it that much easier to want to let them and watch them succeed and help them succeed by coming in and buying cigars or just hanging out and telling your friends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're very grateful that we could give you guys this platform. Yeah, and you guys, you guys keep an eye on our um, on our Facebook page yeah. and on our website. Watch for events. You guys are always welcome at our events, and we're gonna have some fun ones. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely be checking out some events. That's something we're gonna work. This is like our first trip, so it's something we're gonna try and be more active in the community for with a bunch of different groups you guys the mafia mm-hmm. all, the, all that kind of thing so yeah again <clears throat> one of the things that we're, we, we've talked to our um, our fellow our fellow our, I guess we'll call them competitors but uh, some of the other stores that are mm-hmm. in the area you know how they have these um, wine trails yeah or beer trails so we talked to um, a, a group called Trumbull Tourism about actually doing a cigar trail, wow. and you know, of course, you can, how many cigars can you smoke in a day? I mean, if you ask me, it's not enough. It's a pretty big number, <laughs> right? But but some people don't like to smoke seven or eight cigars a day. So one of the things that we talked about was maybe doing a wine trail, and you do it over a weekend. And here's a card; yeah. you get the card punched every time you go to a a place. You buy a cigar at each place. Of course, when you come here, we're going to lead you toward the El Periodico, unless yeah. you have something else in mind right but we're, we're gonna we're gonna steer people there because we want them to try our our premier product and um, you go to these other places and you get your card punched and maybe at the end of it you get a prize or your card goes in a 
basket and we draw winners or something like that um, to promote the whole area, you know, the, the entire Northeast Ohio area. Yeah, that, that's just another testament to your guys' business and just how much you guys want to do for your community and how much of a family business this actually is. Thank you. On closing, our phone number, if you want to leave a message for Joanna, our foods director, who will coordinate all the events, you can reach her at the 330-568-4212 phone number. If no one answers, just leave a message and we'll be sure to get back with you. Again, that number is 330-568-4212, and our website, not our email, our website, and check out the photos like Steve was mentioning, there's a gallery of photos inside there, and that's www.cigarocigarlounge.com, and that's spelled S-I-G-A-R-O-C-I-G-A-R-L-O-U-N-G-E, cigarocigarlounge.com. Yep. And uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there. So thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks to everybody listening. Thank you. Thank to you two for being great hosts and very hospitality, showing us amazing hospitality. And uh, Austin, why don't you close us out? Yeah, again, honored to be here for our first trip. Um, thank you guys for your knowledge, for your stories, and for taking all the time out of your days, to, um, especially on a day that you guys are closed, to open it up to us. It really means a lot. Um, experience we definitely won't forget and we can't wait to come back so sports and stogies on behalf of steve and jamie tomorrow <laughs> it's cam and austin signing off thanks Thank guys. You guys yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah. 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 It's crazy.